Hello, friends. Maestro here bringing you episode 550 of Maestro on the Mic, doing it super throwback Thursday style. Today's episode is a re-release of episodes 52 and 54 of Maestro on the Mic, which originally aired on October 1st and October 8th of, get this, 2018. These were guest episodes that I did with strongman Bud Jeffries, and I was inspired to re-release these episodes after his wife shared on Instagram yesterday that it's been two years since he passed. For those of you who don't know, Bud Jeffries died on January 21st, 2022, from a suspected pulmonary embolism. He actually collapsed during a light training session, uh, and his wife, Heather, performed CPR on him until the medics arrived, uh, but they were unable to revive him. Like I, I literally, I just can't even like, comprehend this. She confirmed his passing in a post uh, that she shared from his account the next day on January 22nd, 2022. You'll hear about all of this in the episode, but Heather and Bud actually lost their son Noah in 2017 when he was killed in a motorcycle accident at the age of 21. I honestly, I honestly can't even begin to comprehend the amount of loss that Heather has endured. And after reading her post yesterday, the first thing I thought about was actually, how could I do something for her? Heather, she'll share updates from Bud's accounts and the way that she speaks about him and all that he stood for and the way that she looks to continue spreading his message. To me, it felt like the best thing that I could do as a complete and total stranger to her was to help her spread Bud's message. So yes, this episode is two hours plus long. Bud did not do anything half-assed. When we originally recorded this back in 2018, I planned on it being a single episode, and then we chatted so long. I wasn't going to cut him off, obviously. We chatted so long that I split it into two episodes. So without further ado, here are both of those episodes back-to-back in their entirety and 100% in honor of the memory of Bud Jeffries. Hey, DJ! Give me those episodes. This is Maestro on the Mic. A podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro, and you're about to get maestro by. Three, two... Hey guys, Maestro here, coming at you live with another episode of Maestro on the Mic. Today I have with me someone you might not know, depending on how far into the depth of social media you go. I don't know, maybe you do, maybe you don't know him. Uh, He goes by the name of Bud Jeffries, uh, same name on Instagram. He's part-time professional strongman, part-time massage therapist, and full-time 100% badass. I'm going to skip the rest of the intros. I'm going to let him do it. This guy, I had to bring him on. You can hear the excitement in my voice. This episode's going to be good. Without further ado, my friends, welcome to the show, Mr. Bud Jeffries. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so I guess this is the part where I introduce myself and tell yes. people what kind of psychopath I actually am, exactly. what kind of crazy I am. <laughs> All right. So introducing myself, uh, I am a, like she said, this wonderful, nice lady who has consented to interview this crazy man who does things and lives in a faraway state and 
is lucky the cops don't come to his yard every week. Uh, I am a half professional strongman, half massage therapist, at least in my, uh, how I make money and a living and do the things that have to play with the rest of the nice little people in the world and that thing. Uh, so let me tell you how that went, that came about. I went to school, the university of Florida. I was playing football there. Uh, and had a career ending football injury that just wrecked my shoulder, actually broke my shoulder socket and left there, had no idea what I was going to do and was conned into going to massage therapy school with, they sort of tell you this, that whole thing as a, you know, you're going to be, it's like the military. You're going to meet interesting people and make money. Yeah, that's a lot. That's not true. You're not going to, but you do learn some awesome things. And I actually am very, very glad because I've been able to help a ton of people along the way. And at least I sort of look like I'm not an actual like time traveling barbarian who's in the wrong century when I have sort of a professional sometimes look about me. And I actually did go to school and get a certification in some things and that kind of stuff. But so how that happened was I, I went to school for that and, and then sort of found out that really in the massage therapy world, unless you just happen to catch on in a sports thing, if you're not a pretty lady, you don't make nearly as much money. And I certainly did not qualify in that way, especially in the place I'm at. Uh, it's, you know, very, very rural, or at least it was 20 years ago when I went to school. So uh, it, they just really wasn't a lot of, a, uh, there wasn't a lot of economic opportunity. And so in that meantime, I had the opportunity to work as a professional strongman. Now I did a lot of strongman competition, but I also uh, started doing really the old time strongman feats and started to speak in churches and schools and that kind of thing. And that's really a lot of how I made my living over the years. And then in expanding that i wrote uh, sort of i was encouraged to you know sort of join the internet age and uh, get a website which my lovely wife built because i can barely turn a computer on i can carry it around <laughs> really well but i can't turn it on very good and uh, so she built this website for me and i wrote uh, started writing a book i wrote several books i've actually written seven books on strength and conditioning and then sort of expanded in some other st- uh, areas and produced geez 50 60 video sets on everything crazy you can possibly do with anything that's heavy at all you had to train with a badger how to wrestle crocodile that kind of stuff you know just crazy actually that's <laughs> not true but just all kind of stuff uh unique implements and, and physical movements and that kind of thing and so in an attempt to do that I, in, in the professional strongman area i either do live shows or make money by informational materials with books and videos ebooks that kind of thing um, which is why i have a social media presence because again like i said without my wife i'd be living in a cave somewhere you know huddled around a fire hunting for food and you know just sort of a thousand years ago where i probably should be instead of playing with the nice developed civilization that we have today uh i uh i got started in athletics really as a kid and and, and how i got started in really in the, my life story is what brought me in, in as really as a professional strongman and i believe that we all have something special to share with the world and so like twice I've been hit by a car and should never have survived. And I, doctors said I wouldn't walk again, wouldn't talk again. Uh, doctors predicted I would never be born in the first place. And I believe that God puts us all where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. And I had the ability to, to show people that no matter what's happened to you, no matter how crazy it is, you can do some pretty amazing things. Because the doctor said my hips had never functioned, but I was able to squat a thousand pounds. And... Uh, yeah, so you can do some pretty amazing stuff. And then I competed for 16 years in powerlifting. I won world championships, had some world records. Uh, then I did everything crazy you can possibly do. And along the way, I got a chance to speak to, you know, like a thousand schools in a three-year period. And I got a chance to speak to a ton of kids live. And then a few years ago, I, I kind of moved away from performing as much. Uh, I still do. In fact, I got performances this week to do, but I, I – um, 
I was traveling. So I'm at the, at the end of where I really, really wanted to go and performing as an old time strongman and that kind of thing. I was traveling 270 wow. days a year and I did 300 schools, three row, 300 schools per wow. year. I did, in a three year period, I literally was in schools in 44 States. And, um, so yeah, at, at the end of that, I was a little bit off of, uh, you know, yeah. that's enough travel for a while. Like it's awesome, but like, that's, you know, that's where you really get used to it. Yeah. Well, you get the whole idea of like where, you know, rock musicians write these songs about being mm-hmm. on the road. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you get that like hotel, the same, you know, every hotel mm-hmm. in the planet looks the same and towns look the same. And, and, you know, so I had a chance to kind of come home for a while and just be, and I love to travel, mm-hmm. but not that much, you know, not that, that way. And, um, I had a chance to come home and I really kind of moved back into we're doing a real, uh, real, you know, professional massage. And I always had a hand in it, but I, I kind of moved back into a, a really doing that more full time. So I really just sort of switched emphasis. I was really full time in, in professional strongman for a long time and then sort of part time massage. Well, now I'm very full time in massage. And then I just do some strongman when people call me and say, hey, bud, come and do something crazy for these kids and, or come and do something, you know, crazy for these adults or whoever else you want me to entertain. And, possibly scare away from your house if they're bothering you or whatever else. You, know. you guys out there gotta, you gotta check out his social media because I feel like it's a little bit out of context. So listen to the whole episode first, but when you're done, you gotta check out this man's Instagram. That's one of the reasons I brought him on. He is literally doing things that his neighbors have to, I guess at this point they're used to it, but I, I feel like in the beginning they're oh, like, yeah, uh, they should we call you. the police or should we watch more? Or like, what is happening? So... <laughs> general emphasis of what's going on in my neighborhood like I, this is the most interesting thing in the world or <laughs> i don't know if i should call the cops or i don't know well, you know what i've gotten into is this the human body is capable of things that are so far above and beyond what most of us are capable are, are told is possible and there are so many combinations of strength and endurance and physical movement and coordination and timing and balance and, and, and all of those things together. And there's so much to explore and it, it can be such an entertaining thing. Like I, the one thing I have committed to, you know, doing is I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be enduring. I'm going to be the best I can be at every possible layer of physical ability, but I'm never going to be boring. I, I, I just don't believe it. I exercise that there's too much to do. There's too much to be. And that doesn't mean doing things just purely for the gimmicky. Like, you know, I get, I get people who do, uh, I don't want to, you know, first of all, I don't look like an Instagram model under any circumstances. I look like, I literally look like I should be wearing bear skins and coming out of a forest somewhere, but that or a hell's angel. I kind of look like those, those two, but I, and I don't do things like people say, Oh, you just do that just to be a clown. No, I don't do that. I am legitimately, everything I do is well thought out and there's a physical purpose behind it. I'm training some particular physical parameter, but what I'm not doing is training it the way that other people do. So I don't do eight sets of eight just to get Mm -hmm. a pump in my biceps. You know, I I do things that combine multiple layers of physical ability and possible pyromania, (laughs) which is, you know, I have a tendency to light things on fire and throw stuff at it and that kind of but I, I literally do. I kind of come from that background and a lot of time, you know, in actually doing live shows. So being entertaining to people is fun to me. But also there's a ton to teach. There's a ton to learn about how we move, how what's possible. Um, and there's so much to explore and so many avenues that I don't feel like people have. I feel like people have barely scratched the surface of so many things. And especially the combination 
of, of multiple high levels of, because almost everything we do in the modern era, which is actually the old time strongman kind of came from a different era where it was way less mm-hmm. specialization. Uh, but now everything is specialized. You're, you're this, you're that, you're this, you know, your other thing. Well, I don't want to, I want to be able to walk into anybody's room and competently play. So if I, you know, I haven't competed in powerlifting for years, but if you stuck me in a powerlifting competition yeah. tomorrow, I could hold my own or a strongman competition, or, you know, uh, I'm, I might get killed at CrossFit because there's a few things they do that I really don't play with. But, you know, if you stuck me in a, a, a shooting competition, or if you stuck me in somewhere I had to, in the wilderness to survive, or if I had to, uh, um, anything you can physically do, I want to at least try. Oh. So let's give it a shot and see what's possible. The thing is, if you have the right preparation, you really can be so much better than most people. You don't have to be a specialist. You can be a generalist and still be high level Absolutely. at lots of stuff. I think in following you and listening to the podcast you've been on, that's one of my favorite things that, to hear you talk about is this this concept of moving and training. I don't even want to say training, but uh, experimenting, learning for life preparation. Like, yeah, okay, maybe I can't go into this specialized paradigm right. and like be the best at it, but for real world scenarios, which is at the end of the day, honestly, the most important thing, having the broadest skill set is undoubtedly the, the the way to make yourself the most resilient, most, most robust, anti-fragile, whatever word that, you know, right. people, uh, people want to use. Right. Now, the one thing I have a commute about that is I, I think people... I think people let themselves off the hook when they start talking about that in that, well, I want to be kind of, I want to be okay at everything. I don't want to be okay at everything. I want to be really good at everything. What I don't necessarily care to do is, and I think with the, with moderate to low volumes of lots of different training with very, very focused efforts in specific areas, really by sifting out the, what's the real payout, using kind of an Mm -hmm. Occam's razor paradigm where it's the, the 20% really pays. That you know, twenty percent of your your effort pays yeah, off eighty yeah. percent of your dividends. Well, I, I've done sift that out through a, about a dozen different physical paradigms and put that all together. Because what you can't do is take eight different training programs and try to run them all concurrently. Because number number one, you only have twenty four hours in a day, and there's other things to do, like you know, eat and sleep yeah. and have sex and all that. There's lots of other stuff to do. Versus, uh, I don't want to train all the time, all day. So, but. What I want to do is I don't want to just be okay. I want to be good to possibly world-class at lots of stuff. But the last 10% of anything that's world-class is where you have to drop the Mm -hmm. rest of everything you do and specialize and give up and sacrifice and your whole, but you can be, you know, you can be in, in a, you can be close enough to a world record that you make the world champions nervous. I love Uh, that without having to live 24 hours a day you know what i'm saying and there's actually where i think is a big thing that people do because the problem i think in generalist training that has always been the case is that so what you got was somebody who was just sort of mediocre at everything but not good enough to be Mm -hmm. dominant anywhere um you can be that though you can be you know you you know you the true opposite ends of the spectrum okay you may have little issues like uh, uh, you talked to me about and prepping for the podcast. I know you listen to some of my R's and know I have kind of a crazy yes. set of goals where I want to squat 800 pounds and run three miles in a day or that kind of thing. Let's run 30 to 50 miles or do that kind of thing or whatever. Okay. Nobody who runs 50 miles in a day is even breaking a sweat worrying about <laughs> me catching them. <laughs> yes. You see what I mean? I mean there, so there is one, there's a few things that you probably yes. are, you know what I'm saying? Uh, 
like uh, now I can squat seven eight hundred pounds pretty much any day of the week. So that's not a more, but so nobody who is, you know, a super ultra endurance in that way, most of whom are literally yes. half my body weight or less. They're not even worried about me breaking into the, oh God, <laughs> Bud's coming to the ultra running world. Not, nobody's even thinking about that. Nobody's thinking about even at a 5k pace. I am not a fast runner or that kind of thing. Um, so some of that is more about how specialized do you want to be? So could I become a really competent ultra runner? Yeah. If I lost a hundred more pounds body weight and decided that I was going to give up everything to do, but can I finish the distance, which for most humans is about what that is about anyway. It doesn't, it's not so much about how fast you can do it's how, and can I finish the distance and still be as strong and still be, you know, to be the, so, you know, a lot of my world does come from a strength slant along with other things, um, which actually is a very misrepresented thing. Cause you're going to hear a lot of people. I even get used to get this in the college level coaching stuff. You'd get, um, Oh, you're strong enough. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. maybe. Yeah. What does that mean? And really what that means is I don't want to try to learn to push you any harder uh, I'm scared that you stub your toe or I'm scared that there might be another thing, you know, or, whatever, or I don't want, I mean, there is an intelligence about how much training energy you put towards something. If you're already great at it and you need to develop other attributes and that's, I have no qualm about that. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this, if you get on a playing athletic field and everybody is basically equal in their technical abilities and their other stuff, anything that you allow to be a low level is going to become a weakness and going to be a problem. So if you're in the physical confrontation sport, like fighting or football or whatever, or anything along that line, everybody at the top level has good technique. Everybody at the top level is fast. Everybody at the top level is enduring. At some point, strength becomes a big deal. It's not just, am I kind of strong? It's, am I really strong enough to impose my will on another fast, strong, athletic human being, which is a whole nother situation and you open the door to what yes. kind of strength are we talking about and am i strong in a gym or am i strong walking around outside or you know strong there are people who are not terribly amazing in a gym who can beat you to death mm-hmm. on a wrestling mat and vice versa and and some of that has to do with individuality for instance a seven foot tall guy may be an incredible wrestler and a lousy bench presser because his arms are yeah. four foot long uh but for, a, but for the distance he has to move for his personal structure, a not impressive number on a bench press may actually translate into very impressive strength in other possible areas. So, so much of this is individuality and figuring out things that, you know, and going to all the possible directions there. And No, this is so good. I, this is why I brought you on. You guys listening, one, listen to the excitement in this man's voice. He, he loves what he's doing. He loves what he's talking about. And he knows what he's talking about. A few things to unpack, a few things that I'm going to ask him afterwards. Uh, but one of the overarching underlying themes here is what some people may consider extremism. And that's, I think, because we all, people tend to really mm-hmm. live in this really kind of tunnel vision safe space and settling, I don't want to say settling for mediocrity, mm-hmm. but settling for this and saying, okay, well, this is strong, you're strong enough. Or, you know, you know jack of all trades, master of none. And when you have someone like you, you're, you know, and DJ, uh, Strong Camp's another great example, that comes in and shakes it up, it's really worth listening to what these people have to say. And we're in a time right now where books like The Rise of Superman, talking about flow states and, you know, learning about what the body is truly capable of, that's, that's like everyone's talking about it right now. So one of the reasons I wanted to bring Bud on the show is because he's living it and he's been living it 
for his whole life, honestly. I don't even want to say, this, you know, however many years. His whole life from, you know, proving these doctors wrong. Um, and I'm going to actually have him tell you his backstory, too. Um, to what he's doing now in terms of how he's training and, you know, looking at doing something like lifting 800 pounds and running an ultra marathon in the same day. This is, this is, this is 100% why I brought you on the show. If you could, my friend, talk to the folks about you as a young child and your kind of, uh, early disenchantment with rehabilitation, I guess is the the way I would describe it. Well, Okay. Well, early, early lack yes, of really exactly. is what that has to do with. So, so you got to kind of know about my life and my my whole thing, and this is really why I had a chance to speak to people so much because I was able to do stuff, and and it's you know it's interesting, but you can find a lot of world champions at stuff that are. Well, what you can find is a lot of strong people. What you can't find is a lot of articulate yes. people. Or what you can't find is a lot of strong people, and they really don't have anything that's educational to share, other than the fact mm-hmm. that they're strong. Okay, well, you know, the average person doesn't care very much about this. They care about how you're going to affect their life. Then they care about what they can take away and what they can teach their kids or what they can make their life better and that kind of thing. And and now I actually do think that sharing strength itself um, is a big thing because I honestly, I think in, you're talking about in the rehab setup or whatever. And, and the, I think you would get rid of 50% of the pain that people are experiencing and 50% of the immobility if everybody in America or the planet or whatever was 50% stronger. Yes, I totally agree. Which is going to be a crazy, I think most of the immobility, most of the lack of, of uh, uh, is from both lack of movement, yes. but it is also from lack of strength because what happens is the body starts self-protecting and I'm not strong enough to not fall. Therefore I don't walk or therefore my balance goes bad or therefore I get weak in every other direction or I'm not strong enough to live my life. And the mistake, and this is something I kind of criticize that world about or whatever is most American physical therapy and, you know, God bless you for all the wonderful mm-hmm. work they do. But from an inch standpoint, from a hospital standpoint, a lot of what you're doing, and I realize that people are hamstrung in media and in, in by what they're told to do in a clinical setting. And they, there's so many things that are a problem there. Well, I don't happen to be hamstrung in that setting. I can kind of do whatever I want. And what they do is they get people just good enough to get out of the hospital and back to the couch. Yeah. And that's not good enough. That's not, that's, a, that, that's why people go to physical therapy for a couple of years and don't really ever get better. And, and it's because we're so incredibly concerned with safety on things that, and I get that we need to be concerned with people's safety and the techniques of how they lift things and, and all the other stuff and all that stuff, you know, but we sort of got the cart before the horse there in that if you can make large gross motor movements with some significant strength, a lot of your small motor movement stuff is going to start to take care of itself. Yes. And you're going to get people who can. So, okay, yes. uh, I'll, I'll get into this more. I think this will really interest you. So I'm training a bunch of women right now. Didn't intend to do this. I just started to do it to help a friend. And then they all just sort of piled in. And evidently dudes want to come work out with me and they never show up. They all, dude, I want to work out with you. Okay, come at this time. Never show. <laughs> women who are, you know, most of who the ladies who I'm training who are like crippled basically by something they're, they, you know, Literally, when you hear some of the stories, you're like, oh, my God, how are these people walking? Uh-huh. Guess what? Get them to deadlift body weight or body weight and a half or double body weight, even if it's a partial. And hmm, yeah. they don't need to do a million little leg rotations. Now, they need to do things for movement, and I'm not saying that. Uh, what I'm, uh, get them to do that, and guess what? They can suddenly stand up out of a chair where they used to have trouble with it. Yes. Get them to uh, – 
and get them to do it. And here's something that I'm going to do. Like I, I actually was speaking to a guy about this yesterday. Uh, what I'm doing with them is the dead opposite paradigm of normal physical therapy. Mm-hmm. We're starting with large gross motor movements instead of finite movements. We're starting with absolutely low reps instead of high rep stuff and, and do it. And, and, but here's why the low rep stuff that they're doing doesn't make them sore. They all had massive amounts of inflammation and soreness just walking around and living daily life. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something I want to point. I would talk about that in rehabilitation and other stuff is most people, they, when they go to therapy, when they go to things, well, you need to get stronger. Okay. But the paradigm of stronger is very limited. Yes. Okay. Uh, if you can, you know, stretching a band overhead with your shoulders may make your shoulders feel wonderful for three sets of 20. It's not going to help you pick up a box out of a shelf and not hurt your shoulder. Yes. It, it's not the exactly. right kind of strength. And when I say add to their strength, I'm not talking about, okay, you used to be able to lift 30 pounds. Now you can lift 50 pounds. That's not going to do it for getting them strong enough to tolerate life, for making them anti-fragile yes. being the word that you know came up earlier and that kind of thing. So here's how I came out of this whole thing. So all right, my actually, I'm going to start at the very, very, you know, let's start at the start beginning. At the beginning. Well, okay. Uh, my, my, and, and, and here's why I have this. And maybe this is, okay, you're talking about some of the books that, that relevant, that, uh, you know, are, are dealing with mindset now. There's a thing about babies that have to fight to live, having a better, a different mindset as adults. Well, maybe I have, and go. that's why I have maybe, some of my, yeah. so my mom, yeah, maybe very that and the concussions over the years have possibly <laughs> broken the of my brain no. <laughs> to things, which is probably true. That literally have you know <laughs> taken my idea of risk out of the. I don't have the ability to process that, but uh, so here's what happened. My mom and dad tried to have children for 12 years, and they were never able to have a baby. And when mom finally got pregnant. She was working as a nurse. She was exposed to the measles, and which is dangerous to a developing fetus, very dangerous. In fact, the doctors at the, at the hospital she was at told her that I'd be born blind or deaf or stillborn. And they tried to get her to have an abortion, and she didn't believe in that. She said no to that. Uh, she said, and she said very specific. They said, you know, listen, you're going to have a handicapped child. And she said, I believe God gave me this child one way or the other. And I don't care whether he's handicapped or not. Okay. I'm going to do everything I can to support okay. this and to help this. So she said no. And which I know is a, you know, an unpopular thing for people to talk about, but is, hey, yeah. listen, that's, this is my life exactly. story. You got to do what you got to do. So actually, my heart rate stopped as I was about to – I was the first baby in the hospital I was born in that they used a fetal heart monitor on. And I'm going – and everything's cool. They, I'm, she's there to have the baby, and my heart disappears. No heart rate anymore. So I'm literally – the birth – when that happened to the time I actually – when they finished the C-section and put my time on the birth certificate is 19 minutes. Wow. Of no heartbeat. So the thing you don't know about that is do I not have a heartbeat for 19 minutes? I can tell you this. They were worried about it enough. They dragged her out of the – my mom said they were so close on when they cut her to give the, the, uh, the C-section to her to have the emergency birth that she could feel the coldness of the betadine being put on her skin Oof. seconds before they cut her. Oof. That's how close they were with the anesthesia. Wow. So I start out that and, but I'm, but okay, here's the thing. Doctors predictions don't mean squat because they said I'd be born blind, deaf mm-hmm. or, or crippled or in any, I'm not, I, they were wrong yeah. and I was okay. And everything is cool. And, and, and I got that, you know, maybe that's the start of the mindset and my parents began, begin to instill a mindset and I try to do this later on with my kid that you're capable you can do anything you're, it's possible it doesn't matter what it is and I, I you know at that time I was too young to even see that but the later on I really do see that they encourage that and that's such a huge thing man you believe it's possible it's possible uh, I, I talked about the group yes. of women I'm training 
I, we have a running joke about that, that when they ask me how much something weighs, everything in my yard, whether it weighs 10 pounds or 500 pounds, everything in my yard weighs 25 pounds. <laughs> and, and I, I did that, okay. I started them with the simplest exercise I could find, which was kettlebell deadlifts. Mm-hmm. Just basic, straight, regular deadlift done with a kettlebell. And I did that for two reasons. Number one, that's the simplest way to learn to deadlift. It's way simpler than a barbell. And number two, they couldn't read the key, the kilos ah, on my know. kettlebell. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so they didn't know what it weighed. They didn't know. All they could see is that one than the other. And I just flat lied to them about what's that way. Oh, what's that one weigh? 25 pounds. <laughs> Well, that looks bigger than the other one. It just looks that way. There's no. It just looks like and, that. But here's why. Here's why they didn't believe they were strong. They didn't. They didn't believe it was possible. And then after the workout, I'd say, you know, uh, they they'd be like, "Wow, that some of that was a little bit heavy." I'm like, you know, you actually lifted 90 pounds today. They're like, "What? I couldn't. How was that possible? I can't believe." Because you didn't know, you couldn't do it, and I told you you yes. could. Yes. And that, and so. So I'm going along, everything's cool. I'm five years old, I have a car accident. I'm walking down the street to my grandmother's house with my mom. I'm carrying this puppy. He jumps out of my arms, runs across the street. I dart after him. When I do, I step right in front of a van. A van hits me, hits me, throws me to the front of the van. It crushes my right hip. It fractures my skull. The guy skids to a stop. It throws me off. Um, so I, I, you know, everybody thinks I'm dead. The whole thing, you know, my mom goes and they get me in an ambulance. Um, I spend a month in the hospital. Uh, I spend three plus months in a body cast, uh, completely immobile from, from the chest down. Uh, and, and you, so the therapy thing, so I can, you know, I can vividly remember this man. I'm a kid. I'm like, I haven't, first, this is Florida back in the seventies. Okay. There was three channels on TV and cartoons like for five minutes a day. Like it was like being in prison. It was like a gulag situation. <laughs> there was no, you know. And so I'm, they cut this cast off me, and I'm thinking, oh, thank God, I can finally run and play. And they stand me up, and I collapse, man. I can't, I couldn't move at all. I couldn't do it. I had to completely start over, walk again. And I don't remember any – they didn't – I remember this. They sent us home with a bottle of some weird lotion and said, all right, rub this on his skin a few times a day and make him move around. That was therapy. That was it. There was little to no organized therapy. There was no – it's not like today where if you sprain your fingernail, you have seven months of therapy, and you do the whole – it doesn't sound like that. It doesn't work that way. So they sent me home and, and just in the normal. And so my mom was, you know, was, was religious about doing things and she moved my legs around and made me do stuff and that kind of, you know, and it wasn't long before I'm walking again because I'm, I'm desperate as a child. and I don't know. I can't, and I got to go outside and play cause this is killing me. So we're going to, I'm motivated to, to do that. But evidently, and I don't remember this cause I, again, the head injury from it was pretty serious. Uh, but Evidently, I had some deficits and some things still about a year later, and my mom happens to run into the meet this guy who owns a taekwondo school, and he's and she's you know and he says she kind of explains the situation. She says, "Well, I can help him get more flexible, and I can help him get moving and doing things or whatever." And so I kind of that sort of developed some of my ideas later on because what I talked about before in, um, and people ask me this now, well, how is it you're able to do these crazy things? without being a specialist in those things. You know what? I just set out to do them and I allow the body to educate itself. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, just by learning the movement, by attempting to make the movement, I think sometimes we so break down the minutia of things that we, that we confuse things yes. versus uh, if you tell the baby, a baby automatic, you don't have to tell a baby to learn to crawl. A baby just starts to move. Yes. You don't have to learn to tell a baby to walk. A baby just begins to do it. Um, 
I think in therapy, we oversimplify things. We, we overcomplicate them by trying to overbreak them down. Yes. Whereas let's start with the simple things you can do and go from there and we'll, we'll adjust the gaps as necessary versus let's start with the, you know, um, Okay, if you are coming out of a cast, well, can you move your leg? All right, let's move your leg. But let's not start with can you move your toe <laughs> if you can move your leg. <laughs> yeah. You see what I mean? And they, they, you know, and so this guy basically was that, and they started with me with, you know, we started with just the basics of stuff. And, and I learned, from, and so this, I had a couple of years of, of real steady taekwondo, which developed a real uh, flexibility thing for me, a, a systematic flexibility, systematic movement, learning to not go from just not just walking, but let's move athletically. Let's. Let's step softly. Let's control our footsteps. Let's jump. Let's spin. Let's do the yeah. the basic things that we all ought to be doing, no matter what age we are, at whatever level is capable of. And and the thing is, you're more capable of it. It's just, you know, okay. I have 65 year old women who've never done an athletic thing in their life, spinning, yes. and doing some of the. And I don't mean by on a bike. I mean literally doing spinning foot drills. Yes. Because they don't know, they shouldn't be able to do that. Exactly. That's it's, it's totally huge. Possible. Yeah, they just don't know. So that jumped me into the therapy world by accident. And then later on, I got into powerlifting and, and I, be, I really began to learn about how to physically make the body strong and the technical abilities of movements. And, and here's the, one of the big things I learned about that that I think will be helpful from a therapeutic standpoint to the people listening. Everybody isn't supposed to do things the same way. Yes, say it, bud. Okay. You watch. Everybody, okay. Everybody isn't supposed to do everything exactly the same way. When you're coaching somebody, don't try to remake them into whoever the world champion you think is cool is, or whoever you're. You, you don't make somebody squat in your stance. You make them squat in the stance that works for them because their hips are different than yours. Their thigh bones are different from yes. yours. Their athletic background, their injury background is all different from yours. So it has to be adjusted to the width, the toe turn, the the hip position, the where your movement starts. All of those things needs to be individually adjusted for every movement on the planet. And if you look at the breadth of the best lifters on the planet, and people say, well, I'm not trying to be a lifter, but you know what? The best lifters on the planet know the best about how to make the body strong, and they know the best about the biomechanics of how to actually use the human body. Okay? So why study? That's like saying, I want to learn to drive. Well, would you rather learn to drive from your local driving instructor, or would you rather learn to, learn to drive from a NASCAR driver? Uh, you'd be better off to learn to drive from a NASCAR driver because you can learn some stuff that uh, makes you absolutely amazing. You're learning from the best people on the planet. Yes. Yeah, you may not be ready to drive 500 laps at 200 miles an hour, but you'd be a lot more better. To, you'd be a lot better than just learn how to parallel park from somebody who doesn't care what they're doing. Right. You, you see You're what right. I mean? Learn from the best something. That, and what you learn is this: there is no single way. There is no single way to be the best at something. There is no single training pl platform. And there is no single biomechanical way to you move the human body. Everybody doesn't copy everybody else. Um, you know, the difference in a five foot, 112 pound uh, female lifter and a six foot four, 350 pound super heavyweight is going to be fairly ri ridiculous in the, the, the way they stand, the way they move, the way they do. It's going to be huge, but good biomechanics is always good biomechanics. Yes. So it doesn't matter. So yes. the little difference is a huge payoffs in how your clients are capable and able to do things. But the biomechanics are always going to be the same. Absolutely. I th absolutely. I think people, especially the social media age that we live in, people love those those, gra those eye-catching uh, images with the red X's and the green check marks. And it's like you cannot put movement into a box like this. You have to look at the person who is in front of you. It 
and and to listen to some of the armchair theorists and some of the the median level coaches who have you know there's the thing about listening to people who are in the middle of their game they're learning they're doing awesome they're trying they also have just enough knowledge to be dangerous yes. not enough knowledge to give you the, they can't see the broad spectrum of things which is the big issue in therapy and strength and all this stuff is not being able to step back and look yes. at the whole of the world of the thing or not having the influences of you know like, so i've studied everybody from the 1850s forward okay i got an idea of what all the major strength systems did and why and what they do and what the theory behind them is and not and here's what i've seen people got strong doing wildly divergent things doing wildly divergent both technical styles as well as um, uh, implements that they lift and, and volumes of training and frequencies of training. And all, it's all over the map. Um, and you can't pigeonhole one particular thing. And I'll tell you what you can't, if you look, you were talking about the red X's and all that stuff, you can look at some of the greatest lifts that ever happened on the planet. And if you put them through that red yeah. X test of, <laughs> is it for mechanics? It won't, they won't pass. Yeah. I'm talking about guys who deadlift 900 pounds. There you go. And it, but if you look at, oh, no, that guy's hips were a little too high or his exactly. back, upper back bent a little bit. Or, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. The reality of human movement, it cannot be pigeonholed into one particular thing within the exception, uh, within the idea that, okay, uh, the basics are still the basics. Yes. There are still some things that are never going to work biomechanically, but – Lots of things work biomechanically. Little tiny cars drive, and so do big trucks. Uh, it's still the basic mechanics. Yes. Same thing. Yes. Um, it's just you have to find and, – and individuality is a very big thing, man. Individuality is a is a, once you've established what good biomechanics are, you have to make the tweaks. And there's where you need some experience. you got to make the tweaks for the individual person of, okay – that doesn't really look comfortable. That's not working well for you or that particular stance or hand grip or, or that particular turn is moving you into a place of bad biomechanics. Therefore we'll make an adjustment and let's put our foot two foot inches wider, or let's turn our toes a little in or a little out, or let's try this. Let's make this adjustment, move your head position, move your back position, move your butt position, whatever. The tweaks. And here's the thing. That's right. Those little tweaks. tweaks. But here's the thing. People will often auto tweak themselves. Yes. Just little – and and don't try to teach the whole world at one time, man. Don't try to teach the 700 step. Listen, give them something stupid, simple to do. Yes. I and love that. And begin yeah. sorting it out a moment at a time. And, and here's the thing that's going on with real high-level lifters. High-level lifters are constantly technique refining. They're constantly asking questions. They're constantly asking their training partners, how did that look? What did that do? Did I do everything perfect? That whole – I'm talking about guys who are the world champions of the best in the world who've been lifting for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're still technique refining 30 years later. Yeah. So now they know they got it, okay? They're not doing, you know, the, all, everything else they've done is auto-ingrained. But the human body wants to be strong. It doesn't want to be weak. It will learn. It will push itself into biomechanically advantageous positions. Once you just give it the nudge of this is probably the best way to do this, and then – the little things sort themselves out I couldn't agree. and they will over a period of time I couldn't agree more man and I, I love the the approach that you're talking about and that is ideal is that that original strength approach to rehab or movement where work on these foundational patterns like look at how children are how they move what they're doing mm -hmm. you don't learn like these little fine things first like go after this big stuff and give people this basic right. level of strength i think one of the problems is people don't realize when they try when they do compare to kids and children they don't actually realize how incredibly strong kids are. They view them as very fragile when oh, yeah. in actuality, I'm like, that child just held a plank for like 
four minutes over there and they're able to deadlift they can go and pick that thing up that thing weighs more than them like we don't actually realize if you were to actually take the strength of a child and make it proportional to an adult you would see exactly like you said but the majority of the world is grossly uh, too too weak weak like just way way too weak weak. that's why we have back that's why we have knee problems that's why we have hip problems for the most part yeah Exactly. You know, we we ninety. You know, we live in the easiest technological moment on the uh, the easiest way to live, the easiest time in the history of human beings to live. Because really, all you need to live in a developed country now. You know, other countries are a different situation, but but in America, all you need is thumbs. Yeah. If you have thumbs, you can live. <laughs> you're, you're right. Because you can, or even just fingers. Because you can you yes. can order anything over a phone. smartphone. Yeah, exactly. No matter what it is, you, can you don't need anything to actually live. But to thrive, yes, but you still need to need a thousand years ago. Yes, that's why forty-year-old dudes uh, uh, can't get off the couch yeah. when they should be crushing life instead of falling away from life. Yes. We're hurting because we're not moving, because we're not strong, not because you know. And and we do the opposite. Oh, you hurt your back. Oh, don't ever exactly. lift anything heavy exactly. again. Exactly. Exactly. And what that sets you up for is a lifetime of back problems, not a short-term issue. But listen, if you don't make those muscles strong, you will have pain and problems forever. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter where the other damage comes from. You had a broken bone, let it heal, now make it strong. You had a damaged disc, let it do some things to make it heal, now make it strong. That's you had a joint replacement, guess what? Guess what I'm going to tell you. Let it heal, <laughs> now make it strong. There you go. Don't, you know, whatever. Let me tell you this. You dig ditches for a living, get strong. You sit at a desk for a living, get strong. Because those two people end up at the same thing. Yeah, you are. I don't care if you have the hardest physical job in the world. At the end of life, if you haven't done the things to keep things strong, to keep things mobile, to undo the pain that and inflammation that general living or your job creates, you and the guy who sat at a desk for 40 years and didn't move very much and had no strength to begin with, going to end up in the same set of physical problems. Exactly. So do the smart things to get stronger, to be mobile. To And here's the thing. There's the problem, and what we talked about, and we're sort of circling back around to the thing, we're talking about being a generalist and, and having the, you know, being good at everything. Here's the thing. You know what? People don't even know this, but some one of the best power lifters ever, actually several, and especially the, a lot of the old-time strongmen, they got strong doing one-rep sets a few times a week. You're talking about Mark Chalet squatted a thousand pounds and deadlifted, I think 800 pounds doing five single reps of squats a week and five single reps of deadlifts a week. That was the entirety of his squat and deadlift program. Okay. And here's what I mean by that. And the reason I'm referencing those things. Mm -hmm. Okay. You see a lot of what you try to make programs complicated. You try to make the people do, uh, we have a more is better, uh, thing and more strength is better, but more work to get there is not. Okay. Uh, meaning this, you got to recover from life. Okay. And I talked about starting these women who are, you know, uh, one of, one of whom has had 25 surgeries in her lifetime has had four has had cancer four separate times and she's about to turn 60 years old, has had literally 25 times had surgery, most of which related to cancer over her life. She's had the legal limit of radiation. You can give a human being in America in her lifetime. Uh, One lady has a destroyed ankle. The other lady has a destroyed hip. The other lady is my mom who is 74, who's never done much of anything, but was in a car accident a couple of years ago and has some back and wrist issues and stuff from that. Uh, And, 
The same program that worked for some of the best lifters and the best all-time strongmen on the planet is working for them. And the reason is this. Do the most you can while creating the least problem, creating the least inflammation. So if I went and took these women and took them to uh, the average gym, they would take them in and put them through a 25-set workout all around around 10 repetitions. And they would have so much Mm -hmm. delayed onset muscle soreness. So much extra inflammation on the inflammation they already have, they would want to die and they would never come back and work out again. But if I made them come in and do a warm up set of a few reps, warm their body up by moving around, walking a little bit, we do some lot of tire pulling because it's super light and simple and hard to do wrong. And then we do just five one rep sets. Okay, I'll give you this. In a two and a half month period, nearly everybody. And this is the women involved that has added 40 to 60 pounds to their deadlift just by doing that twice a week. Look at that. And this is people who are, are, who are at a place where they shouldn't uh, – literally, my one lady, her doctor told her, you are too physically damaged to ever change what you're, what's possible. Your BMI will always be what it is. You're, you'll never be able to get stronger. You'll never be able to – yeah, and then listen to, listen to this crap. This is, makes like me so that. proud. This makes me so happy about this. This lady, for the first time in six years, her inflammation markers went down. For the first time in years, her, her BMI dropped. She lost uh, 15 inches overall. She lost wow. seven pounds. Her BMI dropped to 35, and all her inflammation markers went down. And for the first time in six years, she was able to stand up off the ground by herself. Look at that. Changing her life, man. You're saving her life, but changing her Dude. life. Uh, by the simplest, most most people would say, that's the most ridiculous. Singles never work. You're just going to kill these people. No. I'm making an educated decision from a different vantage point about what's possible and capable and smart for these people. And if you change their strength, you can change their life. You can make a difference in what they're, our our average so far in a three month total trial period of this whole thing. And this just, man, I didn't even intend to do this. I didn't want to train anybody. I just like my one lady was hurt so bad. I'm like, I got, all right, I'll help you. And then the other way, well, can I come? Okay, you can come. Well, uh, can I bring my friend? All right. Can I bring seven friends? Okay. I didn't want to do that. I'm going to, all right, I'll do it or whatever. We're going to do it. Yeah. We've averaged between 20, well, the best, the most weight loss we've had in a three month period. And this is just goofing off. This is, I'm not messing with their diets. I'm not doing anything else. One lady's lost 40 pounds and several other have lost 25. Uh, everybody's 40 to 60 pounds to their deadlift. Uh, everybody's a dude. You're, and this is people who doctors have told them, and I'm just, you're not the only one, just the one lady at reference. Their doctors are telling, no, you're not going to be, no, you're too old. You can't, you can't get stronger. You can't do, yeah, uh, you absolutely can. You absolutely can. So absolutely much stronger. quality of life can be amazing. Yes. And, that's, and that's the big absolutely. thing. You really can. Absolutely. My, my providers out here that you guys are listening to this, you know, I, I don't know 100% every listener, obviously, that checks this out, but I, I just want to interject because I know that sometimes when people hear things that are so perhaps radically different from what they're doing, instead of embracing it, they may get a little bit scared or turn the podcast off or be like, no way, that's just too crazy. (laughs) He's telling you, that's what happens, right? He's telling you anecdotal, 100% true things that that he's seeing. And the reason I do this podcast, and, and actually Bud echoed this and said it, is so that you guys can take a step back and see the bigger picture. One of the main things, right, if you want to say, okay, I'm too scared to load someone that much, all right, but 
the the number one thing that Bud has has echoed this whole time is this concept of empowering people and not telling them what they cannot do, but showing them that they can do and, and helping them realize and understand that they can do anything. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, tricks that may be involved with that for, you know, a better clinician or what makes a better coach because they, you know, the fact that Bud went and used kettlebells, not only because biomechanically it's, it's a easier movement, but because it says kilograms on it. And so mentally for that person, they're not already like, oh, that says 50 pounds. I can't do it. To them, they don't know. And, and Bud, that's a great coaching strategy. The bigger picture there being that we need to, as coaches, clinicians, friends, family, whatever, look to start helping people up and telling them, yeah, you can do this. Fuck yeah, you can do this. Go and, and get stronger. You broke that, Absolutely. okay, heels, and go and get stronger. That needs to rest, okay, rest, and then we have to go and get stronger. It doesn't matter what field you're in, you know, what movement background you're coming from. We're all working with humans. Understand their individuality, and that's how you tailor things, and that one, you know, separates, uh, especially at that highest level of things. But, man, realize that we're working with these incredible beings and empower them and speak to them as such. Well, and we treat people, we treat people from a clinical standpoint as if they're going to forever be damaged. But the human yes, body wants to heal terrible. itself. And that's exactly. not true. It, it wants to heal itself. Now, you okay, you may have something that you carry forever. So what? Mm-hmm. Dude, there are people, you know, uh, doing marathons with no legs. Uh, you got a herniated disc, you can get through it. You can, you know, I mean, it's not. Yes. And here's the thing. Why yes. can't you be the exceptional story? Why can't you be that? You absolutely can. Because what we see, we see all, we see everything as outliers when you have the potential to be an outlier. We see somebody who, and you're, they're going to say, oh, these are just exceptional people. I ain't pick these people. I ain't handpicking that. <laughs> you got the worst injury, but the best potential to be that. No, they're just people. And here's the thing. You can be an outlier. You, ha- you have no idea what you're genetically capable of until you try. And when I say try, I don't the first time you tried it and it didn't work great. That means if you spend a year, and guess what? The more years, the more time, the more effort, the smarter you work, the better your genetics suddenly came. And then people are going to be talking about, oh, you just had the genetics to do that. No. I just did the work. Somebody believed in me and somebody made, you are not there to be damaged forever. You, you are not, you know, but, and, but if people believe they are, that's why they give people that whole, well, you pull the muscle in your back, your back's never going to be strong again. Bull crap. You know how many power lifters? Okay. One of the major exercises I use on the, I use with these people is a reverse hyperextension. I do that because probably one of the smartest ways to make those muscles strong and traction the back at the same time without creating damage, without doing a problem. It most makes most everybody's back feel better. The guy who pushes that, one of the greatest powerlifting coaches to ever live, the intelligent guy is a guy named Louis Simmons. Guess what? Louis broke his spine twice and came back to multiple elite totals, multiple weight classes, and squatted like 900 pounds at like 60 years old. Uh, Dude. We're worried about a little back strain. I'm going to be crippled forever. That's right. Did Louie just happen to magic? No. He was smart. He wouldn't quit. And there's the thing. We're taught. We're teaching people. There's the thing that we, we radically do. We teach people to quit instead of teaching people to work. We teach people that you're going to be damaged forever. No, you're not going to be damaged forever. You can be the outlier. You can be the one who came back from that injury instead of you know, instead of just for, I was for, oh, I broke my toe one time. I can't walk. No, <laughs> not going to work that way. If you make it happen. I mean, it, and here's the thing. Most of the best athletes on the planet have had a serious injury. 
yes. and come back from it yes. to become the best at what they do. So why can't you do it? There's no difference in you and them realistically, other than that, you know, maybe they're a professional at what they do. And yeah, they have genetic gifts for their thing. But you know what? You still got two eyes, two arms, two legs. You're still basically a human being. So what? If this cap- if they're capable of it, you're capable of some significant approximation of the same thing. My man, you say all the... I want to tease that out a little bit uh, because, I was, like I said, I was listening to one of your podcasts about, uh, and you were talking about the day you went in and squatted a thousand pounds and you... <laughs> The mindset that you said, where you're like, I'm either squatting it or I'm leaving in an ambulance. Mm-hmm. And the, the, for me, that was one of the biggest, uh, most uh, poignant moments of that podcast was look at the mindset that this, this person went into this thing with. And this is why they succeeded because this and, you know, they, obviously years into training all other, and everything else. But the mindset portion of that, could you speak some more? To that, like I had a bunch of other stuff I wanted to talk about today, but I, I love that you've taken this in such a the mental component of things. Like, well, my, dude, your mind drives everything. Your mind. No one is strong without mental strength. No one is physically strong without mental strength. And physical strength or physical training is probably the greatest way to build mental strength because it's certainly the way to create the best way to build physical and mental concentration. Nothing on the planet will force you to drop every other thought out of your mind and focus intently like a laser on something than putting the heaviest weight you can possibly hold in your hands or on your back. And, and you're, I'm talking about taking you from, you know, you can meditate 20 minutes a day for six months or I can give you 30 seconds with a barbell on your back and get to the same place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and here's the thing. Uh, it, mental success and physical success is repeated patterns and repeated habits. The more you believe, the more you do on a regular basis, the more you're going to get there. So that night we were talking about, I didn't go in thinking I would fail. I did, it was not a question in my mind. It was that I was absolutely convinced I would succeed. And I had a lifetime of training to build up to that. So I'm not just a nutcase who says, I'm doing this or die. Yeah. I had 16 exactly. <laughs> focused training to get to a pinnacle point of a particular thing that had been a goal of mine forever. And that was the night that goal was going to happen. Now, that's out of the wheelhouse of most people therapeutically, and most people are never going to get to the place of absolute crazy where I'm doing this or I'm going to the hospital. But approximating just some percentage of that in your life, yes. well, why are we, because we're taught to quit all the time with, oh, it's a little hard. I can't, no, I want to do that. So what? Um, I really think if we could live in a mindset on a day to day basis of hard doesn't mean you quit. Tough doesn't mean you quit and rearrange our mindset completely of what pain is. I don't see physical exercise, no matter how painful it is, as pain. Physical exercise is effort. Effort is sometimes comfortable, but that is not pain. You know, pain is when an alligator really does bite you on the leg. That's dead. That's okay. That's pain. I'll give you that. No problem. But, but you did, you know, a hundred squats. Yeah. You're sore. You breathe hard. Yes. Simple effort. That is not pain. Restructuring your mindset in those things, in what effort is, in what pain is, in when I quit, in when I stop myself, in how far I'm willing to go is the difference in life and death. It's the difference in how you age. It's the difference in how you function. It's the difference in your marriage, in your children, in your business success. All of that stuff is key to your mind. And the simplest way to train your mind is to train your body physically hard. If the, you know, if the, okay, 
if it gets tough to answer questions in the middle of the day or it gets up, but if I know that before I got to that interview or before I got to that business meeting, I put myself through things on a regular basis that would scare the crap out of my competition. I fear nothing yes. or next to nothing. Yes. I have rational intelligence about what to do. Okay. <laughs> I go into that without, again, I'm trained to do what I do. I didn't go into that without a rational thought process, but I went into it with, a, okay, what most people would consider an irrational level of motivation and an irrational expectation of success. Now, realistically, yeah, to me, and I think that I think we're wasting our lives. We're, I think we're doing everything. Yes. We, are meant for so much more than the average person gets yes. out of it. And if they simply changed the way they thought, if they simply believed in themselves, if they simply were willing to do the work, they could do amazing things. And it all starts with how you think. I, I can demonstrate. I can, I, I have literally over the, my course of training and career and, and, and between strongman stuff and massage and, and the martial arts, I have hundreds of examples I could call back of, of what you think dictates how strong you are. Uh, what you think dictates how strong you can be. Do you think it's possible? And here's the thing. People can change their thoughts. People can change their mindset. The more success you put them through in that, the more they believe it's possible. The more they take that first step after their leg was broken, the more they're going to believe they can take multiple steps and they can walk again. The more they lift five pounds more than they did last week, the more they're going to think, well, by God, I could lift a couple of hundred pounds or maybe it's possible or maybe I didn't think it was ever possible for me to lift more than 50 pounds and that crazy guy with a backyard on fire who's throwing axes and stuff tricked me into lifting 100 pounds. And my God, now I am mm -hmm. capable of – you are capable, yes. but you have to believe you are capable. You need to surround yourself with people who believe they are and who are willing to work as hard as you. And you need to see that hard work and a tough mind doesn't make you a jerk and isn't going to kill you. We're conditioned yes. to believe we're, – we're conditioned to believe that if you work to the edge of your capacity, you're going to get hurt. Okay, mm -hmm. I am the outlier example of that one particular thing in that, yeah, I have a 25 or 30 year career of weightlifting and I've had some injuries along the way, although never really bad ones from lifting of any kind, more from sports type stuff or whatever. I am, I'm a drag racer. Okay, if you drive a car at 300 miles an hour, you're going to occasionally blow a tire, <laughs> but you can get yeah, exactly. away with you know, you're occasionally, you're going to get a ding on the fender. Okay. It's going to happen. Yeah. That's the way I've lived. That's the way I've done. And I regret absolutely none of that. But the average person can approximate just a level of that. Not the whole thing. You don't have to be as crazy as I'm doing. You don't got to light your backyard on fire, but you can be a 10, 20, 50% stronger than you are safely without the problems, without any little ding on the fender, actually you're, what you're going to do is you're going to actually upgrade your whole system mentally and physically in a relatively safe way that's actually safer than being weak. It's certainly safer than the route of I was hurt and I just babied myself after that because you know what? Okay, so what happens after that? So I had a bad back. Uh, not, not me, but just in the, the, uh, mm -hmm, yes. I don't, in the, in the analogy of yes. what we're doing here. Okay. I'm speaking. 40 years old. I have some young kids. I have a bad back. I can barely walk. We live next to a lake and my three-year-old darts for the water and he can't swim. And I'm too hurt to save him. Exactly. Because yes. two years ago when I hurt my back, they told me, don't ever lift anything heavy again. Just baby it. You'll probably have problems forever. 
Yeah. Stop living. And, That's what they yeah. told you. Well, Die. That's the wrong thing. And that mindset carries over into every other area. I believe I can write a book because I've trained myself since I – or because I started with training with people at 6 and 8 and 10 years old and later when I was 14, 15. People taught me that you can do that. You can do that. It's possible. And I saw repeated success over and over and over and over again. And because I saw repeated success over and over again, I believed I could do it in other areas. Well, I was a pretty good powerlifter. Can I be a strong man? Mm, I think I can. But now here's the thing. I have so much positivity directed in that particular area. I'm probably going to answer that question yes to whatever. Could you be an astronaut? Yeah, I could do it. Can you be? (laughs) But here's the thing. Why can't you? Okay, I realize exactly. that it's that you know that's an extreme example, but it but it actually is possible. And exactly. I'm also a believer of you know what, shoot for the moon. If you miss and hit the stars, you're okay. Exactly, you're good either way. Clinicians out there listening to this man, I hope you take what he's saying and and apply it to to what you're doing, especially because he's showing the. Uh, what is that? What I'm saying the the bidirectionality of this, where you. When someone feels something, they can change their, their belief system. We know that the mind dictates, go, dictates and governs everything. The thoughts dictate and govern everything. But our experiences, our feeling, our movement can actually dictate what or change how we think. Right? So we see this bidirectionality there. And that's one of, the, one of the reasons that as physical therapists, chiropractors, uh, personal trainers, ATCs, whatever you guys are, you have the ability to change someone's life because you have the ability to affect their movement. You change someone's movement, you can change their perspective, change their belief, and you can absolutely change their life. That's that's funny. I I was literally talking to a client about four hours ago about that particular thing, about using physical movement to change your mindset, about using physical, uh, you know, I have a, a friend who, so this particular person has had three major catastrophes in their life. And when you talk to them and a lot of their life reference is based out of that's my timeline. This, this happened and therefore I had these problems after yes. that. And that's a very, very human thing too. And here's what happened. Mm-hmm. The intensity of the experienced molded your mindset. And then you got years of practice being negative or being sad or being damaged by this particular thing. But what if you took that two or three workouts a week and you use the miniature anchors you build every time you do something physically hard and you forced yourself before you do something physically hard to step back and say, I'm happy, I'm fulfilled, my purpose is amazing, I'm a good person, I'm whatever it is you need to fix mentally, whatever it is, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. What if you did that and connected it with happiness every time you did the hardest thing you do every week? Well, now you begin to do the mindset that you have problems with because you got a thousand reps in of being sad over and over and over again because you had this one explosion in your life. Well, what if you took these little mini explosions of every time you had the hardest effort, you pulled a big deadlift, you did your sled dragging for my, you threw an axe and so whatever it might. But what if every time you did it, you use it as a mental prep to undo, to practice reps and reps and reps of positivity and reps and reps and reps of happiness and reps and reps and reps of I can. I am capable. I am good enough. I am valuable. All those things over and over and over again. You use that physical movement as an anchor and it's a much more powerful anchor anchor than just simply saying it to yourself. Convincing yourself is one thing, but tie that to a physical movement. Tie it to a success. I am good enough and then go lift five pounds more than you did last time. Uh, uh Uh-oh. Well, maybe I'm right. By God, I have the evidence to experience it. I have the evidence to say it. I have, you know, and these crazy people are pushing me on. I got around these positive people and now suddenly... I started to get happy and I started to get, think that I can capable of that. And now I'm a better human and I'm a better grandma and I'm, I walk better and I function better all because I believe I can. And somebody told me I could do. 
that, uh, that's, that's it. one person told me I could that's change right. someone's life. But I want to tease out because you, you're, uh, the ties you have here, you are also a massage therapist. So yep. can you talk to me about, I mean, we talked about it a little bit before, uh, you know, through DMs and stuff. Can you talk to me a little about, you know, mindset, movement, uh, you called it bio-cooperation between the practitioner and the patient, myofascial unwinding. Yeah. Talk to yeah. me, bud. Okay. Well, that's one, you know, so, you know, massage therapists are, uh, I tell people this all the time. Uh, most people walk into a place and they ask for deep tissue massage if they're looking for therapeutic massage. Okay, they're looking. To, so massage comes in two, two big flavors and about a hundred sub flavors. So let me tell you what that means. That means uh, there's relaxation massage, which is just the basics of what they call Swedish massage or different Asian massage, depending on where you come from. And that's basically just to get the body to relax. And just that's just, uh, you know, this is fun to have somebody touch me and rub me and I'm just going to chill out for an hour. And then there's therapeutic massage, which is about fixing problems. Okay. Now, what people don't know is that therapeutic massage comes in like 25 different varieties, man. There's a ton of stuff, stuff you've never even heard of and stuff that runs the gamut from super heavy, deep tissue that's so painful you want to die from it to stuff where you barely even touch somebody. And, you're, and what it is is 25 different doors or to the same room, 25 different roads to the same place, all with the idea of making your, your tissue better, your movement better, fixing a problem, undoing pain. Um, and it goes from everything between, uh, okay, deep tissue is, uh, when I give an analogy like this, deep tissue is like using a rolling pin on dough. It is biomechanical pressure that takes the lumps out or literally undoes a knot in a muscle by pressure to literally force it. So if you made a fist and I walked over and grabbed your fist and squeezed your hand as hard as I could until your hand just, your fist gave up and flattened out to an open hand essentially in a super, super simplified way, that's deep tissue massage, mm -hmm. uh, which is awesome. Deep tissue is like a hammer. It works every time on everything, but it may not be the best tool all the time. And, and what I got into later on, especially when I got back into a full-time massage is I learned that using a smarter tool is the best way, not necessarily the, the crush it approach. Yeah. Okay. And yes. a lot of people can't tolerate. So individual reaction is huge. So what one person can tolerate, the other person cannot tolerate. And everybody is living with a, some level of inflammation. Okay. Depending on how high that level of inflammation is and depending on the individual re response, if you hammer somebody with deep tissue, you can, instead of throwing gasoline on their personal forest fire, or instead of throwing water on their forest fire, you just threw gasoline on mm -hmm. it. You just made yes. it worse. And it's difficult to separate, especially about one of the last places I, when I got back in full time was a, a little exercise place. And they're really targeted toward, I mean, seniors in the 70 to 90 range. And 92-year-old women, for the most part, do not tolerate heavy-handed deep tissue massage. Uh, and I, I began to experiment with gentler ways to do things and gentler ways to do stuff. And, and over a, a period, I came to some ideas about uh, using some of the techniques I'd learned in massage to self-regulate um, both energetic blocks, but to self-regulate mobility. Okay, so that gives you to one of the uh, one of the therapeutic styles. So one of the therapeutic styles that I use occasionally, and that uh, you know is, is fairly common amongst knowledgeable therapists, is a thing called myofascial unwinding. Mm -hmm. So the fascia, fascia, however you want to say it, I don't care how you pronounce it, crap. It don't matter to me. It's, it's all good. Okay is the covering if you ever cut a steak open and see that big white thing in there that's tendon that's what phasia that cut looks like a big clear white sheet of of hard stuff gristle or whatever every tissue in your body has the phasia phasia is the tendinous 
covering that separates everything. So if you cut through the skin into the muscle, you're going to cut through that white layer of stuff. And it surrounds every tissue in the muscle, every bone, everywhere. You've got it everywhere. And the theory behind this is that that phasia essentially is a movement record. That phasia is super connected to your nerve. So we're thinking of like the whole body as brain instead of the central and as a, instead of a central brain and your whole body functions together in a nerve and energetic pathways and that whole thing. And every movement you made is sort of recorded, but what's really recorded in those phasias is the repetitive movements you make. Mm-hmm. And, I can demonstrate this with somebody in, in their mobility. I can demonstrate this and have been able to see it multiple times in massage. Okay. So if I'm going to do some deep tissue work, I can warm your body up and then push hard on that spot. And it'll hurt to a certain extent. And it, it may be a seven on a scale of one to 10 of how bad it hurts. But if I do some myofascial unwinding, which is a biocooperation, which I'll explain in a second. If I do that and push that same spot with that same line of pressure, usually that pain level drops from seven to five before I ever do any of the harder work. So myofascial unwinding is based on this. Uh, if I ask the bo- if I ask your body without ever speaking to you, if I just simply grab you, if you're on my table and I work on your neck or whatever, and if you ever watch me do it, you'll see me kind of lift somebody's head and just move it around. And it looks like I'm just simply moving it with my hands, but that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is concentrating on the connection between my body and theirs. And what I'm saying is, I want you, I'm literally speaking to their body mentally, I want you to fix yourself. I want you to move in the ways that you need to move to fix yourself. I want you to unwind yourself. I want you to literally, and the idea is that those movements almost create wrinkles in the phasia. And as you unwind, the phasia moves out like it ought to be. And literally what I'll do is I, as I pick their head up and it looks like I'm, if you're to the untrained eye, it would look like I'm shifting their head around. I'm just doing it. I'm not. All I'm doing is giving their body the impetus to move and then supporting the joints so that it can move freely without much restriction or without much whatever. And I'm more following their movement with my hands versus creating it by pushing it. And in doing that, what happens is that phasia begins to undo itself. And what you will notice is, okay, if I begin to just move them around, now I could just randomly move and you know, whatever. But most of the time, if you pick somebody's up and move them around, what you'll do is a pattern. Okay. You'll do it in circles or you'll move it in figure eights or you'll move to the left a bunch or to the right or whatever. But if you let them do it on your own, you'll find they'll work through their own individual sets of patterns. Okay. They'll work through and you'll notice. And if you talk to them, somebody who holds their phone on the left-hand side of their face will often, if you're doing this, their neck will automatically go to that a, a, a dozen times in letting it undo itself. What it is is the movement itself, your body is literally unwrinkling itself. It's, it's, it's fixing itself as it goes. And your pain gets less, your movement gets better. It's, ve- it's actually usually a very relaxing thing because you're talking about a cold body, nerve, muscle, everything stimulus together. Um, and it, in doing that, what I've begun to apply in other things, is that's one of the techniques I like to use. I got the idea one time of why can't, if I can do this to other people, why can't I do it to myself? Mm-hmm. Yes. And oh, please. I teach myself do that. Okay. And so when you watch most people do joint mobility, all they do is move through a set of predisposed patterns. Okay. Well, what if circles for your ankle, which is a great thing to do. Okay. But what if circles for your ankle or your knee or your hip or whatever, isn't the perfect movement for your body, but what if you could literally tell your body and be, by being sensitive to how it feels, what if you could literally say, okay, 
fix yourself. Move however you need to move. And if you just sort of close your eyes and melt away from it and get, get away from it in a way that you're super focusing, but just allow it to happen. Well, what if your ankle, as you began to do circles for mobility or whatever else, what if it simply started to move in the pattern that it needed to do because you always walk twisted to one side and therefore your ankle's a little jacked to that side or you have a previous injury or you, you know, um, you know, for whatever reason, your ankle moves to the left always instead of the right. Or And so what if you, instead of making mobility general, made it super specific to you by simply telling your body to, to make it to mobilize itself, by fixing itself. And if you are paying attention enough to what's going on inside you to simply follow the movements and let them happen in whatever they might be, whatever flexion they might look like. And sometimes it's this real weirdly graceful set of movements and sometimes it's very spastic and static looking just depending on what you and what if you started at the toes and worked the entire way up your body and instead of just i'm going to work on circles and i'm going to do work on this pattern or that kind of pattern what if you just simply allowed the body a piece at a time to fix itself to create its own mobility to, to remove any block of the flow of nerve conduction of energy of, of circulation or whatever by moving in whatever pattern it needed to do and in the tests I've done with, I taught this at a seminar once and, and then working with other people, it's been pretty doggone successful with letting, uh, I can tell you, I feel a ton better now, you know, maybe it's just movement and, and flow to begin with, but I, I feel a difference in that than if I just simply use a basic set of movement, Absolutely. Uh, because that's what it is biospecific to you. Yes. Movement. There you go. There you go. Not yeah. general, every, you know, okay. So everybody ought to be able to move their ankle in a circle. But you need to move your ankle in a circle with a figure eight and a little twist to the left and a whole, you see what I mean? Exactly. To optimally your thing work better versus just using the basic pattern. And why can't we do that? Well, we can do that. We just need somebody to coach us through it and give some specifics on, on what you know. And we got, we got to get sensitive to our own feeling. There you go. That's a big we thing get there, bud. To our own body. We got to get, we got to get, um, like I had a dental surgery one time and, and this is where I get this idea. Uh, not where I got this idea, but with the analogy I'm about to tell you, I had a dental surgery one time and my friend had had it before. And, uh, I said, well, how bad did you feel? How, how off your game were you? Um, after that, the recovery, you know, for a couple of days or whatever. And he's like, I have no idea. I don't know how to answer that question. And if you, you know, I can tell you very specifically, if I squatted to max yesterday, uh, at the, uh, you know, tomorrow I might only be at 80 or 90% of my game on that particular, you see what I mean? Yes. I'm very connected to my body. Yes. I know exactly what the thing was versus like, if you ask me that question, I'll give you a, I'll give you a roundabout answer of, I know, yeah, this is going to give me about a 10, 20% deficit, or this may help this way, that way, whatever. Well, the, most people have no idea. They have no connection. They have, they know something hurts. They don't have any specifics yeah, about it. That's yeah, all yeah. they know. Whereas if you're real connected to your body, you absolutely can be. And so I found that that's something. And I, I started teaching that to just rank amateurs to, to experiment with it. And they're able to get it as well. Now, it takes some time to learn the concentration. But the higher level athlete you are, the higher, the more connected to your body you are. If you're somebody who really spends some time thinking and practicing, you know, like yoga type practitioners or martial arts practitioners can usually pick that up like really fast because they're very connected. Um, but why can't we all be connected? Why aren't we connected that way? If we were more connected, we would be a lot more predisposed to living as amazing as we could. So go. why? Uh, I think that's a I, huge I, thing. That, go ahead, bud. Go ahead. Yeah. No, uh, that that's kind of its own topic, and I have other massage topics, but that's kind of its own thing. And so I'd love to hear your you know your thought or whatever on that because that's a very uh, that's a like unexplored territory for the most part. 
I mean, I think that you know, I bring people on and we talk about this all the time and, you know, clinicians, again, out there, when you're listening to this, I think people come in, they're so driven by the science and they're, they're so quick to pass judgment. And, you know, I say this because I feel like the, just, just knowing how people are, I love that you said fascia, aphasia, whatever you want to call it. Like people are so like, oh, they didn't say it right, then this is wrong. They don't know anything. Like just take a step back, listen to this person's experience and, and you know, what, what he's saying and what, what, what he's found. And the big thing that I hear when I, no matter who I bring on is this concept of connecting yourself to the actual experience that, and listening. Right. Feel, right. listen, think instead of trying to impart. People come in and they're just like, as a clinician, I'm going to fix you or I'm going to do this to your system. You need to listen let, listen to this person's body and this person also needs to listen to what they're feeling because like you said earlier, actually, right. the body wants to heal. The body wants to be strong. The body doesn't want to be in this dysfunctional position. It will remember these right. other things, these patterns. But if you give it the space to listen, to feel, things will get better. And I love that you've not only applied it to your patients, your, your clients, whatever you call them, but to yourself, I buy into that a hundred percent, you know, whatever, whatever the mechanisms of action, you know, there's clearly a neurological piece to that. How much mechanical is right. it? It doesn't really concern me. The fact of the matter is one, it works. And two, it's something that you can do on yourself, which means that your clients can do on themselves too. This is another right. tie back to that empowerment right. thing. You can get better. You are not right. broken. It's, Right. Well, and I and I'll tell you, I I believe. Okay, I believe in science. I believe in science. I have no no qualm. (laughs) I believe in science until science conflicts with the real world uh, progress of humanity. Okay, because science moves ahead in a slow process, and real training of human beings is more art than science. It is science. Don't get me wrong, but getting the best out of each other is is uh, from a healing perspective from a performance perspective is as much or more the art of learning and seeing that person and seeing what adjustment needs to be made for the individuality you tell me and and science is wonderful but science is limiting at one time the scientists of the world thought it was flat mm-hmm. at one time it was impossible to do this at one time it was impossible to do that no it's only impossible until somebody does it. It only it only doesn't exist in science until somebody happens to prove. And maybe we do or don't have the ability to prove it with current technology, but we can certainly prove it anecdotally. And, and science doesn't often science often it, it, because science moves so slowly. Which again, no problem with science. But science can only test a, a limited number of hypotheses at one time, okay. whereas humans represent a system that is so complex it is nearly impossible unless you're testing a gross um a gross uh, hypothesis yeah. it is so complex it is nearly impossible to prove a single anecdote without a shadow uh, to prove a single theorem beyond a shadow of a doubt universally it's impossible okay you if you think whether or not poison will kill human beings that is a gross possible to prove theory mm-hmm. if you give enough of it to any human being it will kill them 100 percent. period but if you're testing whether low reps or high reps or stretch bands or flexibility or massage or regular pt or water therapy or cold or hot works universally you cannot prove this you it cannot be proved because there somewhere in the system 
And what you can't prove is it'll work on the same person multiple times the same exactly. way. Exactly. The factors change. So look at the complication of tendon, bone, ligament, mindset, cell, nutrition, uh, injury, uh, uh, multiple levels of strength, flexibility, uh, tone, um, dysfunction, or whatever. Just those parameters in testing a human system without talking about cellular stuff, which again adds another million complexities of what's going on. How can you possibly prove that any one thing is going to work 100% all the time for anybody? You can prove some generalities here and there. But you can't prove that it's going to situationally be perfect. That's why as a therapist of any kind or as a coach, you need the broadest possible spectrum of knowledge. Because if you're bag of tools to use because that tool might be the perfect thing for the one person at this time but not that time how many of you have done an exercise or even a therapy on some person where it worked for somebody for a while and then it just didn't work very good anymore Mm -hmm. i got my you know my arms way bigger from doing this for six months and then they just didn't get much bigger anymore. I didn't get much stronger, and I needed to change. I needed, a, or they got, you know, their flexibility got better and better and better and better, and then it stopped. And it wasn't good enough for me to be consider them perfect, but it needed to get better. But what I was doing wasn't working. And that, why? You need a different tool. You need a different thing. You need a different change. And the, you need the ability to look from look at things from a from a a wide variety of what's possible view. That's why I think the strength world has so much to teach. Even the massage world has so much to teach yeah. because if you, okay, I have seen people get better in the real world, whether you can prove it in a lab or not, but I can see people get better from completely divergent therapies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. From completely divergent strength um, training styles. And they both worked for different people. And sometimes even for the same people at yeah. different times in their life. Absolutely. So maybe there is no absolute absolutes about any of this. There is the right thing at the right. And there's the art in therapy and the art in coaching or the art in creating yourself into the better. You have to have enough confidence and knowledge to make the right decision, to be brave enough to try different things, to try new things or what. I had a lady come. Uh, this is a lady, a super close friend of mine. She's 72 years old. Two years ago, she had a bad accident. She fell off a set of stairs and uh, down nearly two flights of stairs. Jeez. And the big real problem, she, you know, she broke her wrist, but she was real beat up from it. It, wasn't, it didn't really break anything, which is a miracle. A miracle she didn't die. Jeez. But the big problem she's had lasting from that is they, you know, she was short of breath, and they thought she was just beat up. Okay? They thought she was just... Um, you know that you're oh you're just you know physically damaged but you'll be okay but six months later she ended up in the hospital again still short of breath they couldn't figure out why and they didn't catch this in the first medical set of scans and something in what happened to her not a damage they couldn't find anything in her back couldn't find anything in whatever in the ability to scan that they had to do something in in her her body was damaged during that fall to the point that it paralyzed one side of her diaphragm Uh. so the left left lung would not inflate Mm-hmm. So no wonder she was short of breath, short of breath. Yeah, and, and, and sick from it for whatever and couldn't find anybody to figure out. And the doctors were like, well, we'll cut you open and just pin your diaphragm back and we'll figure it out when we get in there. And she's like, uh, hell no, mm-hmm. that's, not gonna- <laughs> that's actually yeah. not okay. Nope. <laughs> that's really not an okay thing to say. Well, we'll just nope. figure out when we get inside. dude. You're, and we're talking about doing a massive we're not talking about doing something laparoscopic where it's one exactly. little pole they want to do their path and, and then oh we'll just put you back together when we got dude 
that like, you gotta have a better convincing exactly, story like, than uh... that. <laughs> She started training with us purely because she's a friend and she wants to stay, you know, she's at an age in life where she wants to stay out of a wheelchair and she wants to be functional and she's super active to begin with. And I said, you know what? Come and try it and let me see if I can figure out something for that lung. Let me see if we can figure something out about that. And I really had talked to a bunch of friends and nobody really had anything diaphragmatic massage wise that seemed like it was working or, or didn't have a lot of, you know, whatever. And, and here's what I'm saying about having a big bag of tools and not being afraid to experiment. Okay. So what I started doing with her is I said, I, I notice you're better when you breathe more. Let's do some just basic exercise. Let's pull the tire a little bit, squats and other something that will force you to deep breathe. Because even if it doesn't inflate, we can start making it do a little more. Or we can we can change your oxidative capacity a little bit, or make the other lungs stronger. Or maybe we can do something about it. And what I decided to do was was have her do old school bodybuilding from like the fifties pullovers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So bench pullover yeah. and. So doing is she put, gets across, lay base essentially across the bench, only have her do it with like a 10 pound plate. And what they would do is like the old time 20 rep squat routine is you do 20 reps of squats, you're breathing super heavy. And the idea was rib cage expansion. So the idea is you build a bigger chest by building a bigger box mm-hmm. for your chest to sit on. And so what she, you know, what they would do is do these, you know, 20 rep sets of super deep breathing pullovers. And, and you can really literally see in some of the photographs of people where their rib cage yeah. legitimately did expand. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know what? give this a shot maybe it'll happen and I, and I got to working with her and and, and got to mess with it and I'm to, so i'm like i don't know if i, if I can't hurt you i'm not gonna do anything wrong i can't i can't make it worse so i'm not gonna <laughs> so let's try that and i do some diaphragmatic massage i'm just trying to and i'm literally physically kind of pulling at her ribs and trying to force things open and and massaging in some different places and and just getting to and forcing her to just hold the breath in certain ways and deep breathing and i actually talked to a friend in garen vader who's a, a vocalist so for some breath coach. He's a super amazing guy, world-class pianist, also a magician, physical guy. Does a, a ton. You actually got to talk to him because he does a ton with connecting sound to motion. Love it. Which is, is yes. amazing, which is really yes. does some amazing stuff. But him about, you know, let's try to breathe a certain way and force the diaphragm to move. And lo and behold, she's breathing better just from, the, from an exercise from 50 years ago mm-hmm. that almost nobody does. Well, from 70 years ago that almost nobody does. But, you know, see what I mean about having a Absolutely. big bag of tools? There you and, go. And let's think about this. That Don't just follow the one book you learned from. Yes. There's more out there. There's uh, there's, there's more dreamed of than is, than is in your philosophy, Horatio, to quote Shakespeare, I think, or whatever, you know. There's more, <laughs> I love it. There's, more, uh, there's a ton out there. there and, and, and the reason I have an issue, like I was talking about the science thing of that, if you whatever you prove to me that would work in science, if you give me a few minutes, if I don't already know the example off the top of my head, if you whatever you tell me, this is mm-hmm. the end all be all of building a stronger human body. This is the common. It's the perfect combination. No one can ever do better. You get super. You get three gold stars, and you get extra free pancakes at IHOP when you use this combination. And whatever that combination is, I can give you somebody who did the exact opposite, who also got big and strong. Absolutely. This is life. They're different. So have an open mind. And have an open mind about what's possible for yourself. Dude, there's so much more possible than you think. Today, that I couldn't, I just turned, I had my birthday was the other day. I just turned 45 years old. I am physically doing stuff today that 20 years ago I could not do. And 20 years ago, they were telling me is physiologically impossible to do. And look, 
in exactly. at the same time. Uh, it's because I just was crazy enough to not believe it and crazy enough to try it and crazy enough to build a little systemic way to make it happen. Uh, it, it's, it's totally possible if you just believe and do the right stuff and think and get around crazy people and get around people who open your mind and, you know, it. believe in yourself. And probably you're going to have to light the backyard on fire a couple of times and the cops it's might okay. come. Just don't burn it yeah. down. Get it done. It's all it's good. Okay. You know? yeah. That's why you guys listen. That's why I brought but honest. You expand that toolkit we know the bigger that bag of tools or whatever that whatever you want to call it a toolbox whatever you want to call it the bigger that is and the better you are at knowing how to use each tool the more people you can help when you understand that individuality exists then you say all right i have this one thing that maybe i've never used before but this could fit for you in this particular scenario and we're not just tied to any one paradigm and this is the only way understand that there's a reason that chiropractic massage pt acupuncture red cord whatever that it's all out there because it all works for someone your best bet is to go right. and expose yourself to it figure out how it works this way you understand the, the concept not a specific singular technique and you can apply it however you want but i want to ask you one last thing because i see where we're at with time i want to ask you one last thing to Keeping in mind with this idea of uh, tools for the toolbox, you introduced a really cool concept in one of the other podcasts I listened to of, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what you called it, progressive distance training. Is that what you, yeah, that what you yeah. called it? Um, yeah. So for, mm -hmm. for you guys listening, we're not talking about running progressively longer distances and then doing an ultra. It's actually no. talking about uh, lifting. Uh, could you talk about that? I mm -hmm. think this is, it's fascinating. And to, to you know counter the, the judges out there, the Insta right. judges. Well, and, and here's the thing that where this may actually, I use this quite a bit on this group of people who've showed up to my house who were the walking wounded. I actually use this on, I use this on myself. This is how I got to my all time best squat, my all time best deadlift. And this is also how I have gotten them to build confidence as well as build structural integrity and move to some very heavy weights, even when they're, or heavy for them when mm -hmm. they're damaged you know when they're physically damaged and so what the idea of this is most of the time in strength what people want to use is a linear progression okay but this will actually make a lot of sense to your pts because what this is is progression in range of motion not progression in uh load okay so meaning that there's the, in most linear, most training is linear in that when I can do 10 repetitions of a particular thing or however you want to judge is the strongest you need to be at a particular thing. I therefore then add five pounds to my deal and then move up. Okay. So if I can lift hundred pound dumbbells, when I can do 10 reps of bench presses with them or whatever, I'll do one Oh fives or I'll do whatever. When I can squat 300 pounds, I'll next week I got to try 305 pounds, which is the idea of you know, progression is the entire idea of strength or PT. It doesn't matter. Or even really even massage, flexibility, chiropractic, it should always be progressing towards something. It should, you know, there are, now there is a maintenance of, you know, certain things at certain time or whatever, but especially when you're seeing somebody who's damaged, your idea is to get them to a place of maintenance. So you got to progress toward that to begin with. So in strength, and this is an old technique and I picked it up from old time strongman and whatever, and, and really picked it up from Paul Anderson, who I have who was 1956 uh, Olympic medalist from the U S and, really sort of the original godfather to American powerlifting, to, to modern powerlifting, was one of the first Olympic lifters to every con ever concentrate on the squat as a big strength builder. Mm -hmm. And then moved after that to becoming a professional strongman and, and really was squatting 
you know, okay, depending on what people believe about different lifts and that whatever, but this guy was squatting a thousand pounds when the best guy in the world was squatting 700 pounds. Uh, you see what I mean? This guy was, uh, I'm talking about raw with no, uh, I'm talking about in the late, in the middle Mm -hmm. sixties. Okay. You're talking about early, early to middle sixties is when this guy was doing this. Okay. No raps, no suits, no nothing. No raps, no suits, nothing. Uh, this guy was, this guy, this was a routine thing in the first organized meets. So this guy was so far ahead of everybody else in the squat. What he would do is whatever the last squat of the day was, uh, maybe 600 pounds or whatever. So whatever the heaviest, biggest guy, the biggest last squat of the day was, they, he would come in and perform at the meet. And when he would come in and perform, he would take whatever the bar was loaded with and with no warm up, do like 10 reps with whatever the other guy did was the last lift of the day. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was that far ahead of everybody else as far as Damn. squats and, and that kind of thing. I mean, you're, the guy was just an absolute monster as far as that kind of strength. And one of his favorite techniques, and he picked this up from a gentleman named Bob Peoples, and this that's why I think it's important to know the history of your craft, okay? And I do a lot of stuff that, you know, okay, you were talking about the insta-judges and all that stuff. I do a lot of stuff that so far out of their paradigm, they think yes. I'm stupid. Exactly. But what it is is they don't have the historical knowledge to understand why that I'm doing, I'm not just making it up. I mean, now some things I'm making up just for, you know, like yesterday I threw an ax behind my back. I saw it. That I just made up. But, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. That, you know, but training that we're doing is legitimately historical background or, or is an experiment that, you know, so here's what he would do. Okay. So he would take say, uh, and these guys, this is how this training works. He would take say a hundred pounds above his max. Okay. And do a very short, partial range lift with it okay so you're talking about say if you could squat uh 600 pounds you might take 700 pounds and instead of lifting it the entire full way to parallel or whatever you call full range of motion which is actually uh, you want to stir some crap up Uh-oh. let me talk about full range of motion <laughs> Uh-oh. matter of fact i'm gonna i'm gonna tangent on that just to stir some crap up because this annoys the crap out of me okay what we consider full range of motion in normal lifting is not full range of motion. What we consider full range of motion is normal, usable range of motion. Full range of motion constitutes legitimately the longest possible movement you can make for that individual movement, which is going to constitute is going to consist with a stretch mm-hmm. into a deep position. Pretty much every movement that cannot be done with most normal implements, you cannot bench press full range of motion, true full range of motion with a bar. Has to be dumbbells yes. or yeah. bands Keep or something your like chest. that. <laughs> so that's right. You have to go past beyond those things. And true range of motion is rarely even safe to train with any kind of heavy load. Mm-hmm. Now, what we do is what we consider full range of motion. And what we insta judge each other all about is whether it's full range of motion. But what we don't take into account is individual biomechanical build. And what we don't take into account is individual purpose for training, individual level of flexibility at the moment, etc. And we totally skip other ranges of motion, which that actually plays into what we're talking about as far as partial lifts. We totally skip other ranges of motion that are as practical, if not even more practical, for most people in their athletic or real daily life than what we consider full range of motion, which is actually only usable, normal range of motion. Mm-hmm. Let me yes. give you, for instance, on that. You don't jump for a rebound on a basketball court 
by dropping into a full full range squat and jumping back up. That's right. You don't do that. What you what do you do? You rebound only a couple of inches, load the thighs at their strongest possible range of motion, then jump from there and exert exert from there. So doesn't it then make sense to train in the ranges of motion that you're legitimately going to use? As well as the furthest range of motion. Uh, so I actually classify range of motion in true full range of motion, which is a stretched load. Usable normal range of motion, which is your normal lifting. Partial ranges of motion, okay, which is where your body actually functions most of the time. Uh, if you wrestle people or you're a football lineman or you're a boxer, or you're, you don't stretch into the lowest possible position you can do and then coil onto somebody. <laughs> you go from whatever position you're at which is usually a partial extension of the body. Okay. And then I actually, I, this is actually isn't even a range of motion, but it is a type of strength, which is an isometric at different ranges of motion. Okay. That people don't even think about training, mm-hmm. but if you want to get as strong and as stable and as bulletproof as possible through every possible place, you can move your body. You've got to train those four or five levels of motion. Yes. So, so I just kicked a you know a real holy cow right there yeah. in the face by Absolutely. talking about range of motion. Absolutely. Okay. People anyway, know it. we're talking about the the progressive distance. What he would do is start with a short range of motion, say only four inches, and if you can lift six hundred pounds, lifting seven hundred pounds at the top for three or four inches is not going to feel very heavy, uh, especially once you get used to the idea of an overloaded movement, which is heavier than your normal movement. But you're going to easily be able to lift it. You have a ton of um, of leverage at that point. You have much greater leverage. But here's what you get. By doing this, your tendons, ligaments, bones, and muscles are getting used to a load above your normal load. And so instead of trying to go from 600 as your max to 605 the next week, what you're going to do is take that 700 pounds. And instead of moving it three inches this week, you moved it three inches last week. When you move down this week, you're going to move it four inches or five inches or six inches or whatever it does. And you, what you're going to do is, so say the total range of motion of your particular squat, uh, depending on how tall you are and what stance you're in, is, is 20 inches, just as an abstract number. And you start with three inches, and then you go to five, then you go to seven, then you go to or, you know, eight or nine or whatever, and you're moving a little bit. And over a 10-week period or so, you're moving from the entire range, your entire range of motion, a uh, hundred pounds heavier than your normal load. And what's happened is your body has gotten used to and completely conditioned the Golgi tendon organ reflex, the strength, the tendons, the ligaments, the, the core, your mental confidence has conditioned that 700 pounds. Isn't that heavy? Cause I've been handling it every week for weeks mm-hmm. on end and I totally can move this and I can move a piece. And here's what you'll find as you go. One of the really interesting things with this, Everybody has a strength curve, meaning uh, yeah, everybody has a sticking point, okay? Meaning you're, uh, if you full squat, you may be fairly strong out of the bottom, and then somewhere in the middle your leverages are changing, and that's where you're kind of weak, and maybe you have a muscle that isn't as strong as it needs to be to be fully strong, and then you get past that sticking point and you go up. So if you curve that out on a graph, that's where your, your hard point is. Well, what's happening as you're going for a, a progressive range of motion, you're finding that point. You're finding exactly where you're taking point. And what you're finding is the most biomechanically advantageous position to lift in in everything. And you're modifying that into your fuller range technique. 
Okay. So mm-hmm. one of the criticisms people have with partials is, well, you're just using a, a, a biomechanically advantageous position. That's not a duplication of your full range. And that may be true. Okay. Uh, you, there are times when it's the right thing to do to use the most leverage position. And there are times when it's the right thing to do to use the most mimicking of your full range position because the, the, the position may be slightly different. But over a course of time, what's happening is those positions are going to get close to each other. So you're finding your greatest leverages. You're finding your weak and strong points. You're, and you're evening them out. So in, on a graph, instead of a curve, now it's a straight line. And where it should be, in that, as you come off the bottom of the lift, every time you come closer to your full lockout, your leverage should be getting greater and greater and greater and greater. Instead of greater, 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 and then it's less, 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 and then it's greater, greater, mm-hmm. greater again. Yes. In doing that, you can add quickly, much quicker than trying to progress five pounds a week. Okay. Now, uh, uh, no progression once you get to the advanced level is truly linear, but let's just add it up that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. say your maximum lift is 600 pounds, and you got to add five pounds a week to get to 700 pounds. Well, that's 20 weeks of not missing a lift, doing everything to get there. But say it takes you 10 weeks to add two inches at a time to get to your full-on max to add 100 pounds. See what I mean? That's half the yes. time. To get to the, maybe it doesn't work that way. Maybe you only add... 70 pounds instead of 100 but you still added faster still, progression yeah. you still through every and for me that's also about working every possible range of motion yes. okay so uh i want to know exactly how strong i am if i'm only moving the bar three inches if i'm moving at 10 inches if i'm moving at 20 inches i want to know where i'm at i want to know that every spot in that range of motion over the long haul of a set of training cycles has been trained so that my body knows that at each position it's very strong not that I'm kind of strong and then I'm weak and then I'm kind of strong again. It's not, I want to, I want to fix those issues. And now there's a bunch of ways to do that. Okay. For instance, Anderson actually would do it, um, by adding, by only going a little bit above his max. So let's say, you know, at 600 pounds going to 700 is not that much. It's only like a hundred pounds. So that's actually 15% or so mm-hmm. above your, you know, your maximum, but your true maximum on that is going to be actually more like, for most people, it's a it's a big percentage jump. Yes, I'll give exactly. you an example for me. Okay, so when I could squat a thousand pounds, when I could full range or full range for me. Mm-hmm. So before hey. everybody talks about exactly. whatever full, you know, <laughs> okay. yes. full range for what I count as a full range squat, squat a thousand pounds. I could quarter squat, which is three or less inches. Now there's another thing too. Okay, that's a big hashtag quarter squat gang, and that's yes, when people make people of, go so crazy yeah. about everything. That's people making fun of other people's range of motion when they don't know what they're talking about is what yes. that is. Okay. A true quarter squat in the historical sense of how that was termed in training is a top end support with three to six inches range of motion. Okay. It is not literally. So what they call a quarter squat is if you're used to using an Olympic lifter ass to grass paradigm for squats, you'll call a power lifter only going to parallel, but not mm-hmm. going to, you know, to, to the, yes. the absolute range, you'll call that a quarter squat. That's not exactly. a quarter squat. The real terminology is a top-end support. Uh-huh. Okay, At, When I could squat 1,000 pounds, I could do a, a three-inch range of motion with 1,800 pounds. Wow. Okay. So, and wow. here's what I mean by that. There's a ton of ex- unexplored strength wow. there. Okay, So wow. reality is, if you can squat 600 pounds and you try to max your... Your, and some people are going to be good at it immediately, and some people are going to need to. If you try to max your core squat, you might get 750 or 800, but you actually might be capable of 900 or 1,000 pounds uh-huh. yeah, yeah, if yeah. you your body to unleash that strength. 
Yeah. Okay. So there's a bunch of ways to do that. I experimented with everything from I max my quarter squat, then I add two inches and I max that way. And I, add, and I maxed at every parallel down. I added two inches. I added four inches. I added half an inch at a time over a long period of time. But that took me, that kind of work took me from a seven to 800 pound squat over a several year period to a thousand pound squat. Um, and, and that you're talking about, that's advanced progress. That's not, you know, yeah, beginner level yeah, progress. Yeah, yeah. It's over time. Uh, and it's a way to, from a therapeutic standpoint to work people into some strength. So yeah, the body doesn't hurt itself very much. If you only ask people to lift, uh, uh, two or three inches. Yeah. Okay. And, and it begins to desensitize to load. So I did, I literally just did this with this whole group of women. Okay. So the biggest kettlebell I've got is 150 pounds. And for, for the women who are older and who have never trained very much, that is an insurmountable amount of, I can't, no, no one could have, no one on the planet could ever lift 150 pounds. The paradigm is, is an impossibility. But if I block that, if I put some blocks underneath that kettlebell and I don't tell them how much it weighs and they're able to deadlift a 70 to a 90 or maybe a hundred pound kettlebell full off the floor. And I say, don't look at this. Just do exactly what I tell you. Step up to this thing and you're only going to lift it about two inches at the top. And they, they say, okay, if you think I can do it, okay. And they can pick up 150 pounds mm-hmm. and a couple of weeks of doing that. And now we're picking it up, not just two inches. We're picking it up three or four or five or we're doing or whatever. I had a lady who at the beginning of the summer, the max she could do max was 88 pounds. Last week she lifted that 150 pound kettlebell for the first time. And she never even thought about it would be possible. would never be in the wheelhouse of her her ability. 60 plus pounds addition per lift. This is a 60 year old woman with a damaged hip and multiple nerve problems and a, and a uh, prior knee surgery. Yes. is now deadlifting a 150-pound kettlebell on a regular basis because she was able to literally sneak up on it, destroy the mental mm-hmm. barriers, the doesn't feel crazy anymore, and now she's able to do something she never even thought was possible okay. because of a slightly different training technique. So, okay, so maybe you're, somebody has a damaged knee and they can't use any appreciable load at all through a full range of motion, and you still need to work that full range of motion, but maybe, you're only have a, maybe you only have a partial range of motion. Guess what? The stronger you make that, even in a partial range of motion, the more likely you are to get a deeper range of motion because the body will cease to protect itself because it views itself as strong. Mm-hmm. There you and go. That's just one of the applications there. There's multiple applications of this over a, you know, over a lot of lifts, over a lot of training purposes, both therapeutically and strength and all kind of, uh, kind of stuff. And here's something I believe that's that I, I like. If I had to pick one lift for women to do, mm-hmm. as well as kids to do ever, it would be that partial deadlift. I like it because it's a massive confidence builder. It builds. It'll activate once you get to the load ride and once you get the simple technique because it's almost impossible to do wrong. Exactly. Yes. Here's the other thing about it: it's mm-hmm. hard to hurt yourself. It's almost impossible to do wrong. Okay. Once you and because it's hard to hurt yourself and it's impossible to do wrong and it's super simple, they can access a level of strength that doesn't require thought that connects them to themselves in a way that a full range lift does because you can watch them. They're thinking about everything they should be doing right. When they only have to lift it two inches, three inches, they don't think. They just lift. That's it. Because it's so simple. And because of that, they begin to access a deeper, more primal level of what's going on and 
once you get to a little bit of weight, you've activated everything head to toe. Well, what activates to that that women need more than anything else on the planet? Bone density. There you go. Activates to load. So if you can get a 70-year-old woman, and I've got a couple of them that are doing partial deadlifts now with a barbell, that are lifting – I had a lady, 100 – she's – 50-something, 50-some-five or whatever. She's 110 pounds. Do a 280-pound partial deadlift um, the other day. Okay? Why? Specifically because I want all to to build bone density. I want that to be a big – so what happens if – you know what? I only have to lift this thing a couple of inches, but guess what? Every bone in my body is loaded. It's loaded in a way that starts to promote greater calcification, starts Mm -hmm. to promote the right stuff. And suddenly my core is pretty doggone strong and I'm walking better and moving better all because I lifted something three inches, which is the dead opposite of what everybody on the planet will tell you. Oh my God, you didn't do a full range. You'll die. Your dog will get sick. You'll have a bad tax return. The next time you get a haircut, you're going to get a bad haircut because you didn't do full range. Dude, bad tax return. the body works in a lot of ranges. Work in all the ranges. Learn to be smart. Learn to be, you know, learn that there's more to this than... Then the simple way it's not whatever your favorite Instagram model does, it's not the only way to do stuff. There you go. Individuality. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. But you've shared so much. And my favorite is that you give us the bigger picture, which is what the podcast is all about. Uh, just knowledge bombs, so many. One, you guys listening, go and look at his Instagram. The for me, I just love the listening to you the knowledge you have the passion you have for this and then just watch the the crazy shit that he does which he said in the beginning there is a rhyme and a reason for this like he's not just doing this because but the there's another side of that where he also realizes that yeah this is also on a social media platform and it's sometimes fun to have fun so you get a you get a human it's not just you know a, 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 a face on on social media there you got an incredibly smart human who has unpacked a ton of stuff for us uh, with i think one of the biggest take-homes being this concept of the mind of mindset believe that you can do something like my, my this podcast is about pushing forward expanding your 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 what you think are your limits your boundaries taking leaps and no matter whether it's a physical feat or what trying to trying to leave your career or you know lift a thousand pounds it's all about mindset there and if you believe you can do it you can you don't believe you can do it you won't do it and so listen to this man that's lifting all the things he's huge <laughs> listen to him he's gonna come and shake you if if you don't but my man before before we uh wrap it up here if if they want to find you how can okay. they do that Okay, so a couple of things. Uh, if you want to find me on just basic social media, just use my name. Okay, I use personal accounts. I don't use the other crap. I, I and I don't hide behind uh you know. No, and you're not doing that. Your name is very descriptive to you, <laughs> but like I don't say the buffest dude ever yeah, is my. Exactly. I, I don't use a you know. Yours is extremely descriptive to what you do. <laughs> I just went by because I'm again technological caveman, so I just went by my name. So Bud Jeffries, directly on Facebook, Instagram, uh, as Bud Jeffries. And then, you know, and then uh, if you want to look at my website, okay, so my personal website is anunconventionallife.com. Okay, so that, and I stick with one L, so an, an unconventional, not two L's, life.com, mm-hmm. uh, which that is our basic website that has all our books, videos, and all the other stuff or whatever. And it also, we have a, a charitable website called Noah's Army, 
and you'll see a lot of our stuff on there. And that's our 501c3 in which we raise money for scholarships for first responders and for music programs for children and uh, abused women. And basically anybody who needs help, we're going to help them. Uh, so we're going to have events for that. We actually have a uh, we're going to have a running event, a running and lifting event for that. We're going to have a shooting event next year for that. We'll have a motorcycle and classic car event. We'll also have a bass fishing tournament. So we're going to do that, dude. We'll do everything. It doesn't matter. You want to have ballet? We'll do that. I don't care. We're just going to make money to help people and do amazing stuff and live as much life as we can. Um, those are the easiest ways to find me. If you want the products, go to Unconventional Life, and if you want to see the crazy stuff, go to Instagram, Facebook, and um, if you hit me on Facebook, cause I have a, do have a personal account. You'll have to probably follow me. I don't know if I have, I've, I've totally, I've maxed out the friends thing. And then, uh, Instagram, you can see, you know, whatever the crazy I do. And you'll see what she's talking about, about the insanity of, you know, um, good stuff. but you know what, and dude, uh, life is too short not to be having fun with, and I feel like most people spend all their life in a gym and they build this big, powerful car to, of a body to drive around. They never take it out and drive it. There well, I take mine out. And drive it. I want to see what it can do. I want to see. I love it. So that's uh, juggling kettlebells in the ocean and then through throwing hatchets and then opening up cans of soda. And I love it. I love it, man. (laughs) Busting cat cans. I love it. But (laughs) is there anything else you'd like to leave the folks with any parting words or anything like that? Um, You know what? God loves you. No matter what happens, whenever what you think is going on, God loves you. I believe that. I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. People love you. You can be an amazing human being. Um, you know, I believe in Jesus. I, you believe in whatever you want, but I believe in that. I believe that'll help you. I also believe, for a shadow of a doubt, that you are meant to have a joyful, powerful life. You're meant to be physically strong, mentally strong, and happy. You just got to work for it. So do whatever you need to do to do that. I love it. But that is amazing. I thank you. Dude, this was an awesome, awesome episode. I thank you endlessly for... Uh taking time man this is a lot of time so thank you and sharing this with with the audience my audience my people so thank you for that so enjoyed it and if if you want me to come back i'll come back it'll happen uh, it'll happen i'm I'm certain of that cool this is great and we just scratched the surface we haven't even talked about how to properly light your hatchets on fire to exactly i was thinking that (laughs) we haven't even even gotten gotten already the crazy stuff so that will definitely be a part two because life is all about connection so you guys out there thank you so much also for listening i know you could have been doing anything and you chose to listen to us and honestly thank you for that if you guys like the episode if you love the episode don't worry about subscribing don't worry about liking it i want you to head over to uh it's actually the website is actually official noahsarmy.com it is something that is I want you to check out. I want you to go and read through uh, and do what you want after that. But if you like the episode, love the episode, head on over to that website. I'll link it in the bio, officialnoahsarmy.com. And uh, look to make uh, give back a little bit. All right? Until next time, my friends, Bud Jeffries and Maestro, 